0: Oh, what time is it? Who woke me up? Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Fast Big Dog. In my third and final installment of this series—not the podcast, mind you. Sorry, all you haters out there. Uh, this is merely the final installment in my series on World Cup mountain bikers who started as Nordic skiers. I'm joined today by Carter Hall as was the case with my first two guests, John Wesling and Evan Arthur. Carter also just recently finished representing the United States of America in the UCI Mountain Bike World Cups in Snowshoe, West Virginia, and Mont Saint-Anne, Quebec, Canada. Welcome to the show, Carter. Yeah, thank you for having me. So we're going to cover a wide variety of skiing-related topics on this channel uh, all year and moving forward. But I wanted to reiterate, and I think it bears repeating, that these first three have been centered around the theme that you, JR, and Evan all grew up in Nordics game, and the three of you not only ended up representing the United States on the World Cup, which obviously in itself is an incredibly uh, impressive accomplishment, but you also did so at the same time and in the same place. So please introduce yourself. Tell us something about you that most people don't know and then I'd love to hear about your Nordic skiing background and your path into the highest level of mountain bike racing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it is, yeah, it's super interesting and it was really fun um, hanging out with those guys and you um, in Snowshoe. Um, I think when when you sort of step back from it, it's not that coincidental. I think we've all uh, pushed each other and like motivated each other to get to that level and um, I think it would have been hard for me to get there without Evan or without JR pushing me and um, and we also all, you know, we come from similar backgrounds and um, being on Nordic teams and so it was, it was pretty easy to just gel with those guys and get along and um, even though we're not on the same like club teams or anything, it was like pretty easy decision to sort of share housing with them at, at that race and previous races as well. Um, yeah, as far as myself, um, I'm Carter, (laughs) I'm Carter Hall. I grew up in Maine, a small town outside of Portland. Um, and yeah, I've been Nordic skiing pretty much my my whole life, um, since I was probably two or three, too young to remember for sure. Um, also been riding a bike for about as long. Um, when I was three years old, um, my older brother was two years older. Uh, had a had a toy play set or uh, a toy tool set, and he took off my training wheels. Um, so he said, uh, "Just pedal fast, don't stop, and uh, you don't need these training wheels anymore." Um, and so that was uh, my introduction to riding two wheel bikes when I was when I was about three. Um,
0: Is that why you're such a good bike I- handler?
1: maybe you know it, it <laughs> certainly didn't hurt it's always better to get on early I think with skiing with biking with anything right um, yeah definitely um, and then yeah I mean I ski raced through middle and high school um, I also did a little bit of bike racing um, in high school but that was a little bit harder to sort of manage um, there weren't a lot of other kids my age racing um racing bikes and so i was kind of like training or traveling by myself um or riding with like masters guys um and on on the nordic team at yarmouth high school it was you know it was a big team um it was a fast team and it was super fun to be a part of and so that was sort of like that was the choice (laughs) and it was a pretty easy choice like do i want to train by myself and try and like go to all these races or do I want to like hang out with the team be on the bus um and like try and win a state championship as a team and like um yeah so I did did that and I was skiing well enough that um I was able to move on to skiing college um skied at Colby College um and I was lucky enough to have my brother my older brother on the team for one year um to keep me in line um and, uh, and then that was where I met Evan as well. Um, and then, Evan and I raced, did some, did some bike racing in college. Not too much, not too seriously. Um, and once, once I graduated college, I pretty quickly realized that, that I wanted to keep training and, um, have athletic goals and, uh, cycling was a, A natural switch for me. I I grew up working in a bike shop and um, I was working in a bike shop in Bozeman at the time and um, so yeah, I just got into racing Um, and then Evan moved to Bozeman and we started traveling to races together, pushing each other, riding together and um, yeah (laughs) and then I guess we met JR at a race in Arkansas um, and we were all sort of like traveling to races by ourselves, and just said, hey, like, why don't we all just link up for the races we're going to together, and, um, yeah, I guess that gets us to here, um, <laughs> or at least just to, to snowshoe World Cups.
0: Right. Um, well, so, you know, it's really interesting that you mentioned uh, the team uh, teamwork and camaraderie and all of that. Um, <clears throat> when Evan and I did our podcast last week, the morning we were sp- – uh, going to speak, I saw. I guess it was an Instagram clip of Jens Voigt on his podcast. Which, just so you know, it's not nearly as good as this one. Um, he had two young Dutch guys on, and as you well know, you know the Dutch have such an incredible history of bike racing, whether it be on the track, on the road. You know, back in the Rabobank days, they had everything. They had obviously amazing world champion cyclocross uh, teams, road teams, mountain teams. You know, teams on the track. And these guys were talking about how, you know, growing up with those teammates, you know, one of them would win one week, and then that whole next week, you would just be like, you know, seething, like, I'm going to get this guy next week, you know, in the best possible way. Then, you know, you'd get him, and, you know, he would then be thinking the same thing. So um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, especially because Evan and I talked about that a little bit uh, in our podcast as well, and one of my questions to him, and you, you brought it up right now is, you know, the, even though Nordic skiing is a pretty individual sport, in particular in college, you're training together a ton, if not every day, you're winning and losing, even though you have individual accomplishments, you're winning and losing as a team, so not to mention training camps and cooking dinner and all that other stuff, so there is really a lot of camaraderie in Nordic skiing, and I just get the sense, especially on the World Cup level, there's less of that in mountain bike racing. Do you miss that camaraderie of Nordic skiing and how um, how are you adapting to the new, you know, the the new kind of um, environment that you're in, you know, in the uh, World Cup uh, mountain bike racing?
1: Yeah, it's definitely something that's I would say that's one of the biggest differences um, coming from ski racing. Um, and I think I mean, it goes all the way up to the highest level. Um you know there's a few exceptions guys that train a lot by themselves but like for the most part even like you know the u.s ski team like they're doing camps together and those guys are training with their clubs um all summer and like certainly in college like well over half of the workouts like you're training with the whole team like all the interval sessions all that stuff um and like now i i probably train like well over half of the time is by myself um And, like, you know, individualized program and that whole thing. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I definitely miss the camaraderie um, and the fun of, like, just being on a team. Um, But it's also nice, like, it's freeing in a way. Um, You get to sort of choose your own schedule. And, like, um, I think also, like, when you race, you you do race alone, and um, so mentally, like, when you put in all those hours, like, by yourself, like, it's a lot easier when you get into a situation, like, in a race what that you're by yourself, like, you're just, like, so used to it, and, like, so used to, like, you have to self-motivate all the time, um, whereas, like, in skiing, you know, it's it's almost weird, like, when you get into an individual start race, like, I particularly, I remember, like, early season, like, you'd get into a, an individual start race, and you're, like, like, I don't really know how to pace or, like, I haven't done anything, I haven't done any hard efforts without, like, having somebody either behind me or in front of me, um, that I can sort of, like, pace off of or, like, at least be, like, competitive with and motivated by, um, and so it's, it's kind of, it's, like, it's different and it's nice, um, in some ways, but, yeah, certainly, like, wow, <laughs> I've been at a few races, but, like, by myself or, um, yeah, where you're like cooking dinner, you're making yourself chicken and rice and just watching a show by yourself and <laughs> that's a lot less fun than uh, than like going to a race with the whole team.
0: Oh, um, we've all had a couple of those soul crushing nights in some god awful like remote outpost of the world where you're sitting there with like is like you're reheating food over like some old Bunsen burner it hits. <laughs> It's, it's definitely a different dynamic for sure. It's a really good point about the individual start, though. I hadn't really considered that before, and I'm sure everyone out there, ski racing and training, will really appreciate that analogy. Speaking of racing, you were talking to me when we were down in West Virginia. You know, Even though um, mountain bike racing has a lot more people involved in it, as both athletes and spectators, I guess, certainly compared to Nordic skiing, it's still a pretty small world, especially uh, at the elite level. And uh, you were telling me when we were down in uh, Snowshoe that um, apparently it's been a surprise to a lot of your fellow competitors on the World Cup because they never saw you racing juniors or U23s. And so people are rolling up to you like in, when you're pre-routing the race course on training days. And people were coming up and like pretty much flat on asking you, like, who the hell are you and where would you come from? Is that right? Yeah,
1: um, definitely, like yeah it's definitely a small community and um just like skiing is and um most of the guys that we're racing against um or that you know that i've started racing against the past few years like they've been racing each other for for a lot longer um and i think it's it's pretty unusual um to sort of get into it like when you're already out of u23s like first raced my first UCI race when I was 24. Um, and so all these guys are like, you know, they're like, Oh, are you still au 23? And I'm like, no, I'm turning 27 this year. (laughs) Um, and, um, yeah. So it's, it's been like, yeah, it's been interesting to sort of like crack into that, um, community and, and people are really welcoming, but, um, I always have to, like, sort of remind myself um, that, like, <laughs> there's I always think of some of the people that we race against as, like, much older than me, and some of them are are younger than me. <laughs> um, they just have a lot more years of UCI racing under the belt, and, um, yeah. Uh, just, like, getting comfortable, I guess, it has been... It, it, yeah, it's taken some time to sort of get comfortable with, like, okay, actually, these, like, we peers, and, like, they're not, like... Older, like people that I should be, um, sort of like scared of or, uh, yeah, just Think of them more as, as peers and like people that we race against them a lot. like...
0: Do, now, do you think that later start, um, is a strength or a weakness?
1: Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I, I, I think in some ways it's it's a strength. I think the the background in skiing um, has been really helpful. Um, Just being well-rounded and strong and um, having, like, a good training background and being able to cross-train and, like, all that sort of stuff. Um, But then, yeah, certainly, like, for me, like, just having a lot less race starts than people. Like, um, when I sort of get into some race situations like you know people are pulling out tricks that I'm like dang like that's that takes some practice that I don't have (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and like just like the smoothness and um like sort of tactical awareness and all that sort of stuff like that I think is really hard to you can try and just like pay more attention and compress it but um you you really can't get it without just like a lot of race starts um but then you know, if I if I sort of, like, roll the clock back a bunch of years, like, I don't think I would still be racing bikes if I had decided when I was 16, like, I'm just going to commit to this and train by myself all the time. <laughs> um, I don't think that would have lasted very long. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, probably would, just would have gotten bored and, and unhappy. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: right. And so it was, it was nice to, like, have the team to, like, sort of support me through, have a team... Different teams at different points, but like uh, to like support me through you know the first all those years of of training and um, yeah building that base.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk about that more in a second. But you just brought up another really interesting point because speaking of skiing, for the past couple of years you've been working as a technician on Andy Newell's BSF Pro team. So. As a four-time Olympian and extremely successful World Cup athlete, Andy probably has some of the most years of experience in the Nordic World Cup of any athlete, at least in the U.S. history. How did working with him and really um, all of the athletes on the BSF pro team, because you've got a lot of good athletes there, a lot of people getting World Cup starts, how did uh, working with that whole crew help prepare you uh, to race on the mountain bike World Cup?
1: yeah that's a that's a good question I do think I think it's been, been super helpful um, I think mostly just seeing like, like the level of like dedication and and also like how they're balancing um, like the athletes on the team like how they sort of balance their life um, because it is like it's a big transition like going from college where you get a lot of, a lot of things are taken care of, of you uh, when you're ski racing in college. Um, and, you know, it's different at different schools, but, like, I think overall it's definitely, like, you have less to worry about. Um, and sort of seeing, like, they all have, for the most part, have, like, jobs and seeing how they're, like, balancing that. And then also just, like, it's just motivating. Like, being in a race uh, situation, like, even if you're not racing, like, for me, it's super motivating. Um, And it was kind of, like, I don't think from a training perspective that, like, being in the wax cabin, like, all day and, like, um, doing, like, trash zone two training, just, like, lapping the hill to do glide outs with Newell is, like, necessarily the best for, like, building a big base in the winter. But, like, I also think it was It was just, like, super motivating, like, mentally um, to be around that, like, energy and, like, people that are my age that are, like, chasing a similar goal and, like, um, yeah. And then also, like, Andy is a wealth of knowledge, particularly in skiing, but also just in, like, training, managing injuries, like, managing training and racing, like, the schedule and all that stuff. And, um, you know, like, even you just pick things up um, even if even if he's like he's not he wasn't coaching me and he wasn't writing a plan or anything but it's like you just kind of pick things up hanging around him like um, and he's always like willing to answer questions and stuff like that um, it's yeah.
0: really it's really interesting to hear you say that because that's exactly why I asked the question you know I know Andy pretty well as well and that's been my experience with him as well you know he's been out there for so long so whether it's been you know, athletes getting overtrained or undertrained or burnout or uh, just, you know, stress away from home. You know, I was uh, with the team over in Italy last year and I saw him managing that situation, you know, because everyone has their own kind of set of needs. And you know how it is, you know, there's kind of natural ups and downs to racing anyway, and then throw in going to Europe where it's super competitive. And so, you know, I was incredibly impressed just dealing with him about. Like just exactly like you said, even though he wasn't coaching you specifically, um, I'm not at all surprised to hear that. And we're we're going to try and have Andy on at some point here too, because it's really interesting hearing just anyone. Who, there's no substitute for experience. So anyone who's been in the game as long as he has, both as an athlete and now as a coach, um, it's amazing. You know, managing illness. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So, um, but I got to ask. You know, speaking of like. It kind of that reminds me of like traveling with that whole crew who's more needy pro skiers or pro riders
1: oh that's a good question right uh, yeah i mean <laughs> in their own way i think um and i think
0: now keep in mind we were, we were roaming with Wesley. we were roaming with Wesley in west virginia so, so the bar is pretty high there
1: the, yeah the bar is definitely pretty high um but I also, like, I would say I, I haven't been, at, I haven't, like, stayed with the highest level, you know, like a world tour team or something. And I can imagine that, that those guys are even another level. Um, and, I mean, same with probably, you know, the, <laughs> you know, Claybo, I'm sure, has, has uh, more specific needs than, than the B.S.F. people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, really, they're, like, they're not... They're not so needy. Like everybody, kind of just manages <laughs> manages the, uh, what they need. And uh,
0: look at that. so You yeah, don't even work I mean, for the team anymore. You're still gonna be a you're still gonna be a team player. You're gonna say the BSF guys are uh, are self-sufficient. You're you're a good teammate.
1: No, I mean it, that was the, the one of the nicest things about going on those trips is like I wouldn't have to cook dinner for as long as I was there because they they're all cook, They would just cook dinner and. Noel and I would be waxing skis, and then they'd knock on the door when <laughs> dinner was ready. So, yeah, um, they were taking care of care of us as much as we were taking care
0: of them. Uh, you know that that's good to hear. That's, that sounds a like great team culture. So, you um, speaking of Wesling and Evan, you guys all made it to the top of the mountain bike world after a relatively short period of time racing mountain bikes. And so, obviously, the reason why we're all here is that you had a lot of similarities in your path. With those similarities, sort of being the through line there being Nordic skiing. But you also each had a lot of interesting differences. You know, Wesley had his roots, you know, in motocross. Evan was a good collegiate runner. Um, You took skiing a little bit further than most of those guys. And and then certainly you have the, you know, what we just talked about, the pro skiing experience and, you know, hanging out and working and training with those guys. Well, out of all those things, like what specifically about your background do you think helped get you to the World Cup?
1: that's a great question <laughs> um, yeah I don't, I don't know that there's like one specific thing I think um, there's a lot of things that sort of came together um, certainly like Nordic skiing has been I don't I don't think like my fitness would be where it is today without Nordic skiing um, that's like you know I, I have to attribute a lot of a lot of the base fitness to that but um, But then I think, um, like, growing up working in a bike shop, I started working in a bike shop when I was 15 and going on group rides and learning to fix my bike. And um, that, I think, melded well and um, made it easy to sort of... I kept riding, like, when I was skiing, even though my coaches recommended it mostly against it. Um, (laughs) I I still would ride in the summer and... um, yeah, I think that that sort of, like, just enjoying, like, riding the bike while I was training and, like, getting fitter is, like, sort of what set me up to, like, be able to make the transition really quickly and um, and successfully.
0: Why do you think your coaches recommended against mountain bike training? Because I know a lot of, you know, World Cup skiers who train, at least some on the mountain bike, some who train a lot. Like, do you think that was just a... Unfounded, biased, or what? What would you recommend for everyone listening to this? You know, whether they're high school, college, or master blasters out there. For I know it's we're, you know, rapidly. I just got done with a ski this morning, so we're back on snow, and you guys are on snow up there in Bozeman too. But you know, for looking forward to next summer and kind of and beyond, what do you? How big a component do you think mountain bike training should play? Again, we're talking about skiers specifically. How big a component do you think mountain biking should play? in, you know, let's just say the average competitive skier, whatever level that may be.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's good in moderation. Um, I, I definitely even, even though I really like mountain biking, I don't I don't think that doing a lot of hours on the bike is particularly helpful for skiing. Um, I think it's, it's helpful as like general base um, but I think the reason to answer sort of the beginning of your question, like why did my coaches recommend against it? Um, I'm really bad at running, um, and being good at running is sort of used as a typical like hallmark of how good you're going to be at skiing. And I think in general that's true. Um, it was probably the least true for me of anyone on my team, um, being that I was like, I wasn't the best skier on the team, but I wasn't the worst, but I was definitely the worst runner. Um, And so I think they they wanted me to train, to run more and and bike less. Um, And then I think also the tough thing with mountain biking, um, when you're a Nordic skier, is, like, if you go out with your team, there's usually a pretty wide range of skill level, and it's pretty hard to sort of all be um, riding... a productive but not too hard level um, unless you just like all happen to be have really similar experience um, mountain biking like if I went mountain biking with my college teammates with the exception of a few of them like I would be waiting for them a lot um, and and or they would be going too hard to keep up with me (laughs) Um, and so I think that like just see that, and they're like, "Yeah, just, just don't do
0: it." <laughs> yeah, I had the exact same experience when I go out with Wessling. Um, I am waiting and waiting and waiting. It's it's hard to stay in the same training zone. So I, I definitely, I feel you there.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, waiting for him all the
0: time. Oh yeah, that guy. He's he's just always an anchor on us. But yeah, you you definitely mentioned a couple interesting things in there. And I got a, a, as a quick shout out. You know you're well aware I'm a big powerful man. I've got to actually I want to talk to you about that in a little bit too because we talked about both you and Wesling are big dudes, um, certainly for World Cup mountain bike standards and I, I want to talk to you about that in a second, but as a quick aside, for all you big kings out there, yeah I, it's funny you know the sort of the standard the tried and true uphill TT, whether it's you know the double pole time trial, or I think every college. Pro, even high school program, certainly good I mean, high school program, has one of those. Whether you know it's um, the Hot Springs time trial here in Steamboat, or uh, what's what's the uh, Park City one? Um, not Lambs Canyon, but God, Suicide. I forget. I forget the hill. Everyone has like one of those uphill time trials, and it's usually run R- right. And us big guys always get slaughtered. Always get slaughtered. <laughs> And so it's kind of funny. I, in fact, actually, Newell and I had a great conversation about this a couple of years ago, and he was said his perspective on this I thought was one of the best ever. It's I think it's a mistake to look at it as a predictor of success in the winner, how you have to evaluate those. And it's hard if you're a competitive person. No one likes to lose a time trial you know, to somebody by like a minute or two minutes or whatever. You really have to look at it in terms of just uh, – your own scores like your relative improvement throughout the year historically you know other times you've run so it's really really good in that it removes all the variables of like skis wax snow all that stuff um so it's kind of funny the way i think some coaches definitely get a little too hung up on it then you've got other guys like newell who's like no 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 it's all relative we're looking about improvement for you because you're exactly right at the end of the day what really matters how fast do you go on snow but I think your observation yeah. about training on not training too much on the mountain bike is—it's super interesting coming from someone who is obviously now a professional mountain biker. So I hope that does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah, what, I think. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think it's—it's it's really easy to get caught up in like the every you know every time trial is like it's a race, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's always like. Like I remember, um, we you know we would do testing, and one of them was an uphill test, and we'd do the three k and all that sort of stuff. And um, one of the years we had like a freshman who was sort of like on the cusp of making the team, and he was like, "Well, you know, if I can just beat Carter in the three k, then like on the track," and I was like. Look, man, the only way to be sure that you're not going to be on the team is to get beat by me in the 3K. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't beat me, then you're in
0: big trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I bring that up you because know, uh, you know, I help out uh, coaching with the Steamboat team, and I know a lot of times, again, especially you know bigger athletes, it's easy to get down on yourself because you can lose you know, a couple minutes on one of those things to some of the smaller guys and girls. Um, and then you're right there in the mix in the winter. So um, I'm sure people, you know, whenever whenever I complain about people just say it's because I'm out of shape. But hearing it from you <laughs> might actually resonate with some people. So what, what's been your biggest takeaway, you know, from this whole, I mean, the, the story itself is incredible. I mean, I'm friends with all you guys. You guys are great guys. You have these interesting connections to each other. The, like we said before, the connection of Nordic skiing, you all show up at the same place. Um, tons of great kind of stories in there but I'd love to hear from you personally um what was your biggest takeaway from the whole uh, world cup experience
1: um yeah just that the level is really high um and it's really fun to race at that level um yeah it's like just like with any sport I think like it's always like there's levels, and you, you just progress through it, and it's always, like, eye-opening when you get to the next level. Even though you know, like, it's like I've watched on TV, I know these guys are, like, really fast, but then, like, seeing it in person, seeing them in practice, like, just nailing the lines, all that stuff is, like, it's crazy to, to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, it's it's so much fun. Like, I, I wasn't sure, like, uh, a lot of people in the U.S., um, mostly people that sort of like race gravel. Um, a lot of them talk about like, you know, the rat race of the world cup and how they hate it. And they don't like that. That's a bottleneck at the start and a circus and all this stuff. And, and so I was like, not sure if I was going to get there and be like, wow, this actually is terrible. <laughs> um, but I had completely the opposite experience. Like it was so much fun. Um, and it sounds weird to be like, oh yeah, I, I love I loved riding around a fifteen minute loop for ten hours in a week, um, but like, there's nothing I would have rather done. Um, it was like so much fun to just like try and get get dialed on the course and like figure everything out. Um, and obviously, like yeah, the start is hectic. It's a hundred guys, um, you know, lined up twelve wild twelve wide bar to bar. Um, but, like, to me, that didn't feel like it wasn't uh, – it, it was just motivating, really. Um, it was, it's just, like, so cool to be, like, um, to be battling with somebody who's, like, properly fast for 80th place. Um, and, like, I've, n- I've never been so excited to be, like, so far back in a race and, and like, just giving it everything. Um.
0: Oh, yeah, it was it was awesome racing, watching you guys race down there. I mean, like you said, just, you know, getting to the start, the tech sections there, for people who have not raced it, uh, have not watched it, excuse me, um, or haven't watched it in a while, I mean, you know, you and I were talking when we were there at the condo, it's amazing, you know, parts of those sections look like, you know, downhill courses from 20 years ago, like, it it was really impressive, like, those tech sections were no joke.
1: Yeah, definitely, and, like, for me, it was, like, I hadn't raced anything that technical before. And so, like, showing up and then seeing, like, the top guys, like, just rolling through it and, like, the way they're piecing it, puzzling it out. And, like, it's so so impressive and it's so motivating. Like, you know, you get there and, like, obviously it's easy to look at, you know, there's so many metrics in cycling. It's easy to look at the watts, the watts per kilo and say, like, well, you know, I got to go to the drawing board and find – you know, this many X number of watts or whatever, and then I'll, and then I'll be in the mix, and then you, like, watch that 30-second downhill section, and you're like, well, I could have as many watts as I want, but I can't do that. <laughs> you know, I got to put this out, too. Right. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So speaking of your mountain bike experience, um, more importantly, let's talk about, uh, you know, your mountain bike World Cup experience. More importantly, let's talk about my mountain bike World Cup experience, because I think we can all agree that's may- way more important. So, like any good Nordic nerd, I was getting ready to go do some bounding intervals uh, up the uh, the downhill course one of the days, and uh, you pulled out a couple gels. You gave me a couple Never Second gels. So, uh, unlike those morally bankrupt losers over at Faster Skier, we only promote products here that we've tested and, more importantly, we believe in. So, thanks to you, uh, I was had a good interval sesh. So, shout out to Never Second, and if you're looking to sponsor a quality product since you yourself produce a quality product. Never second. We would love to work with you. So you guys should give a a shout out to Carter for hooking me up when I was down there because of course I had just come from actually I had just come from Mexico surfing. So I didn't have I didn't have crap with me. So thanks again for the hookup and never second. Right now Gavin is flying to Houghton, Michigan for Nationals, sleeping in his car and doesn't change his underwear for a week. So help support a worthy cause and you should take care of your your boy Carter because he took care of me. So um, we'll see if that works because, like I said, watching Gavin almost starve to death, that's, that's no good. So we're going to try and score some sponsors here. Um, uh, in addition to your strong Nordic uh, backgrounds, we were just talking about you know, size and everything in the World Cup. Both you and JR are relatively big dudes, certainly by mountain bike standards. Um, he and I talked about this a little bit in his podcast, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you also managed to make it to the World Cup, uh, e- even more so than Nordic skiing. You see, Nordic skiers of a pretty—it's one of the cool things about skiing. Actually, athletes of a pretty wide range of sizes and shapes can uh, go fast. Um, you see a lot less of that uh, in mountain biking. How did you how did you get to the World Cup? Being a, being a pretty big dude.
1: Yeah, that's a. <laughs> I mean, I don't think of myself as like being a particularly big dude. Um, I think, especially coming from skiing, like I feel like pretty relatively normal sized. Um, but yeah, on the on the bike, it's yeah, I'm a little bit closer to the to the upper end. Um, yeah, I think just using my like using my strength, using what I'm good at, like I can sprint really well, um, which I you know it doesn't that's probably an advantage that comes partly from being a little bit bigger um i think like it makes it easier to like to push the bike around um on the downhills and like absorb impacts stuff like that um and yeah you know like when it gets steep climbing like obviously you know the watts per kilo the ratio matters but um but i think less so in mountain biking just because like there's more bumps, there's more, like, technical stuff, just, the climbs aren't as long, um, and so just being, like, punchy and strong is, like, more important than, um, being super light, like, in, you know, it's something like the Tour de France, like, it's kind of hard to, there just aren't really guys that are, like, my size that can, can be serious GC contenders unless they, uh, you know, go on a, a ridiculous diet or something, um, but I think in mountain biking, you know, just being, being strong and and being able to put out the power um, is more important than than the size. Um,
0: well, yeah. r- word on the street is that you have some pretty crazy power numbers. You care to elaborate on that?
1: Um. Well, yeah. Depending on the duration. Um, yeah. I, I. I mean, I don't think you make it to. <laughs> There's always somebody with higher numbers, right? Um, and in cycling, it's really easy to compare because um, you can you can look at a lot of guys publish their numbers, and it's really easy to look at. It's really easy to analyze. Um, and so there's always going to be somebody with with better numbers. Um, but yeah, I mean, you don't like you don't make it to the World Cup without being able to put out a good bit of power. And um, so yeah, <laughs> I can <laughs> I can put out some power. Yeah, um, partic- I mean, you found out in the you tried to get me in a little sprint, and uh, yeah, you found out just how Well, much. I was
0: debating. I wasn't going to say anything, so let's just clear the air. So after kicking Evan's ass in the sprint on a <laughs> borrowed bike with borrowed shoes and the world's most disgusting borrowed helmet, in JR is such a nut, I, w- I knew he'd freak, and he had another World Cup, so I'm not going to mess up his bike and move the seat because he – that would have psychologically destroyed him. So I was on a bike. So I crush Evan in this sprint, and then I take on you. So you did get me. I'll give you that. But when we got back to the condo, first of all, no one could believe that I beat Evan. And Westling was that's how I know about your pow- power numbers. Wesley was like, dude, if you had beaten Carter, Carter has like world-class power numbers. And dude, you only got me by like a wheel. So I'll on my second sprint. So uh, I'll take that. I'll take that
1: <laughs> I think it was a little more than a wheel but uh, but yeah I think yeah certainly like that's something like yeah I mean for like 20 minutes or whatever like Evans <laughs> Evans can do big numbers and stuff and mine are you know they're they're good enough but but yeah that's something I, I just always had a always had a really good kick like you know three five seconds um, and as I sort of like progress through and like you know people polish and publish their numbers and stuff I'm like oh, actually like this is not just like good for like the club ride at <laughs> uh, in Portland against the master's dudes. it's like this actually is, is pretty high level um, and it's nice like going into a race like it's just a it's just a good uh, good tool to have in your box
0: <laughs> oh for, um, sh- for sure I, I mean
1: feel it- like I can go to the finish with most people, and, like, and it's not something that I particularly train, but it's, I like, yeah, I think coming from skiing, like, you, you do a lot of, like, spence and strength training and explosive stuff, and just translates well, and it's nice to be able to go to the finish with, like, most people and be like, yeah, I'll roll the dice, like, I bet I can, I bet I can run a sprint. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. well, in all honesty, like it's funny you bring that up. Uh, I, as soon as you said that, like right away, that, that kind of uh, that made me feel better. And uh, we don't even need to talk about the fact that that was the first intensity I'd get on a bike all year. We don't even need to bring that up. Like, I don't think that's even worth mentioning. We'll just go right on. S- speaking of wrestling... Um, his highly eventful collegiate career was well-documented in our first podcast. So if you haven't got a chance, you or any of the listeners, you definitely need to check it out. Because, of course, if it involves wrestling, you know, he was involved in, like, some Berkey controversy, like, bib switching. And, of course, one of his teammates won. It was a whole thing. Um, And then he got (laughs) – he he was goofing around in the feed zone, like, not taking it seriously. Got his ass kicked by, like, some 50-year-old farmer, which is also epic. So, uh, since Evan didn't uh, ski race in college, just you and Wesley did. I know you didn't; your careers already didn't overlap much. But uh, shoot me straight, head to head. Let's say, you know, pick your distance: ten, fifteen k, skate or classic. Who's gonna win? You or Wesley? On skis. If
1: this winter. Uh, or, or like at our peak.
0: At, at both, at your peak and. Uh, at my house, on in the first week in January, who's who's winning each race?
1: Yeah, I think I think at at our peak. Oh uh, no, nah, I'll, I'll take him in both. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was gonna. I think he maybe had better results than me, but he was also racing in the Midwest circuit and. We don't need to go too deep into that, but um, yeah. And then I think you know, to be fair to him, he's he's lived in LA for the winter for the past few years, and I've been in Bozeman training with Newell and uh, and boxing with the BSF team. So I'm still reasonably sharp on Nordic skis um, right. and less removed from my collegiate racing.
0: Yeah. Well, um, those are all good points. Plus. I've seen, I mean, I, I think Newell's an amazing coach, and I've seen your power numbers, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to put my money on you. Actually, I'm going to put my money on me, because I'm going to redeem that sprint, and then <laughs> I'm going to put my money on you over Weston. But you do bring up something really interesting there, because it's, um, and you touched on it earlier, you know, on my time in the World Cup, you know, I've seen plenty of uh, athletes transition into coaching or tech roles, and... Um, I think it's safe to say that uh, ski techs in particular have a reputation for a keen fondness of adult beverages. Uh, not to mention like incredibly erratic work hours and travel demands. How did you manage to balance um, a uh, like you said you know uh, grinding you know garbage L2 glide outs around World Cup courses or Super Tour courses um, to still get like your Uh, The hours in, I mean, it's incredible, really, when you think about it, because Evan and I talked a little bit about balancing work and training, because that's a big issue for for everybody, you know, for people, young guys, you know, trying to make it as pros, you know, pros who've been on the circuit for a while, and then, you know, masters who are balancing all the other things in their life, but still want to have, you know, try and hang on to some speed and have some results. So everybody struggles with that, but of all of those jobs, you know, Evan was talking about how flexible he's got a good like work from home remote thing you probably had one of the most erratic challenging like late nights high stress you know all those things but yet you still managed to have time to get in pretty high volume training and obviously it worked really well how how did you manage all that and how did you um how did you end up being so fast in an environment where people can you know, most of the guys I know are trying not to gain forty pounds and here you are racing World Cups. Like how did you how did you sort all that out?
1: Yeah. Um, I think just just doing what I could when I when I could. Um, and for me, like luckily Andy and I I mean we definitely we have some beers in the wax trailer on occasion, but uh, I think on the spectrum of uh, of techs, we're, we're on the the drier side. Um, <laughs> and, um, and also, like, Andy's always down to ski. Like, he, he loves to ski. And so, like, he doesn't want to spend all day in the trailer and never get out for a ski. And so that sort of made it easier that, like, he would be motivated to, like, get things done or take a break to go skiing. And um, and then also, like, just, I would, you know, we would get home and I would go for a run at night or in, you know, usually not in the morning. Usually we'd be, we'd be up early in the morning. Um, but, like, yeah, just, like, fitting it in anywhere I could um, when I was on those trips and, like, yeah. <laughs> looking Looking back at it, like, it's sort of, it seems a little ridiculous, but I would just sort of take it week by week, and um, I'm a good coach, and I would just talk to her and be like, look, I'm going to be, you know, at these races, um, and I would, like, say, <laughs> you know, this is the day of the race. Like, I'm probably not really going to be able to do anything, like, good on that day, um, but, you know, maybe on these other days and just, like, switch things around, and it would sort of be like okay, we got home, you know, an hour before dinner or, like, we don't know what we're going to wax with yet, so we have a couple hours this afternoon, and I'll be like, okay, I'm going for a run right now, five minutes, like, drink some water, put the shoes on, go out and, like, run intervals, like, um, or whatever it was, um, and just, like, just take it day by day and, and fit in whatever I could, um, which meant, you know, running hill repeats in the dark in uh, Heber, Utah or you know, skiing doing like some tempos <laughs> tempo intervals in the rain and Craftsbury and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like I I'm sort of someone who like if I if I have a plan, if I have a train plan, like I'll just I'll just do whatever it takes to follow it and um, yeah. So that's how I did that, I guess.
0: Well, you know, it's... it's I'm not sure
1: it's optimal,
0: but... Right. Well, and I think that's one of the things that makes it that much more impressive, and that's what I love about this series. Like I said in one of the earlier questions, you know, you guys have a lot of common ground, and certainly, you know, common ground in your background, and obviously, you know, a ton of overlap in your specific uh, advocation that, I mean, you're all racing mountain bikes in the World Cup, but at the same time, you know, how you got there, had some important differences, and also the specifics, you know, Wesleyan's running his coaching business, you know, he's coaching at UCLA, he's doing a couple different things, Evan's working, you're working, and so you're all working three very different jobs, so, it, you know, it's not just like this cookie-cutter thing, like, you know, follow this uh, this plan, follow this roadmap, and, you know, do, uh, you know, work in a bike shop, do this, do this, and you'll be able to do this. You all came at this, again, from incredibly different directions, and even to this day, I think the breakdown I mean, over the past training year, your non-training hours was so incredibly different, and that's kind of my central point here, and this is a great way to tie it all together on the third interview, of, I think sometimes people get caught up, especially younger skiers, I, you know, I mean, in, the, in all fairness, the U.S. ski team, they backed up on this a little bit, but Wasn't all that long ago when there was a tremendous amount of pressure. Like, if you want to be good, you've got to not go to college, go on the World Cup, and just ski full time. And now, with the rise of uh, domestic pro teams, I think with the rise of uh, the collegiate programs, I think college racing is a much, much higher level. There are so many different paths. You know, people can go to college, people can work, like Evan is, you know, computer jobs, Uh, a tech job like yourself, you know, Wesley kind of going the coaching route. And you don't – I think what's particularly interesting about yours is – your path is you don't see people kind of go into the coaching slash tech realm and then come back out and race at a high level. You know, so that's one of the things that I think is particularly interesting uh, with your story. And quite frankly, I think bodes really, really well for you moving forward. I mean you know, we can all talk about how to make it work, but you said the right thing, and I think. I think we can all agree on you know, certainly can't have been optimal. So, um, again, you know, it's great. It's a really cool story watching how you guys all got there with kind of intertwining roads, but yet still a lot of uniqueness to each of them. Um, Sort of along those same lines, what do you think the biggest difference is between ski racing and mountain bike racing at the elite level?
1: Um, I think two things. Um, One that I sort of touched on earlier is, like, the sort of team versus individual um, aspect of it. Um, Mountain biking is much less of a team sport. Um, I think at the junior level there are some teams, but certainly as you get older, like, and on the World Cup, like, guys are maybe on teams – or they are they are on teams with like you know their their bike sponsor, but it's two or three of them. Um, it's not like eight eight guys, eight girls, or even like you know. So the domestic pro teams that for skiing are like you know four or five guys, four or five girls, and you all stay together. Um, it's more like two or three athletes, and then you know a mechanic and uh, manager or whatever else, and. Um, so that's, that's been a big difference and, and just like training training by yourself, like I sort of talked about. Um, the other difference is the data. Um, I think so much more available data for training um, in, in cycling um, and like in skiing, you know, because there's so many variables that you can't really account for or, or quantify um, you sort of have heart rate and you have time, but time's pretty, like, obviously you look at, you know, I'm gonna ski for 90 minutes today or two hours tomorrow, but, like, you can't really, like, compare your times, like, because the snow is different and all this other stuff. So you kind of have heart rate and that's sort of it. <laughs> you have, like, heart rate and then you have, like, how many hours did you train this year? Um, whereas cycling, um, you know, the watts are a big thing. Um, and it's, like, a much more, much more direct measurement of what you're doing. And so you can sort of, like, pretty easily see, like, improvement. Um, and then also you can see, like, the disparity between you and other riders. Um, yeah, that's, that's something that, that took a lot of, like, adjusting to. And I think, like, for me, I'm, I'm grateful that I came from skiing in that, like, you have to learn to race, like, on feel and train on feel yeah, you your hurry, it helps, but, you know, did you have two cups of coffee or one or whatever? And, like, you, it it changes it pretty drastically. And so you have to, like... And when you're in a race, like, for the most part, you're not looking at it um, because it's not really that easy. You don't have a head unit straight in front of your face. Um, And so you have to learn to race on feel, and, like, you feel your threshold. You feel when you're going over it. And I think having that, like, going into bike racing, like, a lot of people... (laughs) <laughs> don't like if you grow up r- racing with a power meter and riding with a power meter, like it's really easy to be like really locked in on like a number. Um and like I'm uh, yeah I'm really glad that I that I like I had that background. is um, that's something that's super different. Um
0: I, I think that yeah I, I think that's a great point. And that actually really brings up an interesting point too. <clears throat> um it seems like the big breakpoints in ski racing let's call them careers um, are going from high school to college and then from college to pro skiing so you had a chance to ski race at the high school level uh, then college level and then you know coach tech at the pro level and then race mountain bike so you, you've had a pretty interesting and diverse mix of like skills and experiences so what advice do you have for high school skiers Thinking about going to college or college skiers looking to go pro. Basically, somebody thinking about trying to make the next step, whether it's to switch sports like you did or, again, this is you know primarily a ski publication, so mainly targeted about you know, people thinking about trying to make that next jump in their skiing career. What advice do you have for people kind of mulling over the, those decisions based on what you've seen work and then also what you've seen not work? Because you've got a much bigger uh, cross section, you know, with Andy's uh, pro team as well.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is um, just like deciding whether whether it's something that you enjoy, um, and I think it's really hard at, at any level to to train hard if you're not enjoying it, and that, that doesn't mean that you love every every session or. Um, you know you love roller skiing in the rain like that's, that's fair enough if you don't like that but I think like overall you have to like decide like I actually want to do this um for in order to be successful and I think I like I had a really positive experience skiing in college um but I also like I'm wary to tell like if I'm coaching juniors I'm wary to be like yeah like you, you gotta ski in college like it's so fun because like it was fun for me but it's not necessarily fun for everybody um, and yeah just I, it's not something that's like that easy to figure out um, always but I think yeah like doing doing what you enjoy <laughs> um, and and finding a way to like to make it enjoyable um, one thing I think like that I've seen like not really work that well particularly with people going from college to professional skiing is like um, putting too much into training, not having other outlets. And like it's it's a lot harder to enjoy something if, if it's the only thing you do. Um, and I think like some people like for sure can can manage that, but you have to like love skiing so much to have that be the only thing that you do and still love it. Um, and so like, yeah, having, having balance um, – and for me, like, that was something, um, like, training for mountain biking, like, it, it's a logical step to, like, be like, okay, well, I'm training for mountain biking, like, I should just ride the trainer all winter and, like, not ski. Like, it's, it's better training. Um, but I also knew, like, I wasn't going to enjoy that. That wasn't going to work for me long term. Um, and so, like, yeah, skiing, like, f- having that balance with skiing and, like, doing other things that I enjoy and... Um, was really important for me and I think like I've had some friends like that try to professional ski and um, and they don't like they don't balance it well and then and, and it gets really overwhelming um, when it's like the only thing that you're doing.
0: Yeah, you know it's funny, Evan and I talked about that and he mentioned how he thought working actually was a positive overall, obviously there's times when you'd rather like take a nap and you know watch cartoons or whatever in the middle of the day but you know you gotta work and Work, by definition, um, is work. Uh, that's why you're getting yeah, paid. Right. And so there's definitely times when it gets in the way. But, um, you know, he said overall he thought it netted out a positive. And I told him a story uh, when I was at the World Champs in 2017 in Lottie. Keek and Randall had just had a baby. And she said the exact same thing, that, yeah, there's, you know, more time demands. You're packing for multiple people. And, you know, got a young baby and there's all kinds of other things going on. But she said, when everything was said and done, she felt like it actually helped her skiing for exactly the reason you just said. You're not just completely fixated on every workout, every race, all those other things. So, you're now the third consecutive person that said that. So that, that's super interesting to hear. <laughs> um, but speaking about uh, going back into high school and you know giving advice to people, um, I'm going to put you in a time machine, and take you back ten years. What's the biggest piece of advice that you're going to give to yourself, or that? you're going to do differently uh going back to that you know 15 16 year old high school kid
1: oh that's a good question um (laughs) yeah i don't know um i think yeah just enjoy being on being on a team and enjoy training and soak it all in um yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I try not to, like, think about sort of... That. Like, I think it, it would be easy to, like, think, oh, well, I should have gone back and well, f- tell 15-year-old me to, to give up skiing and and go to whatever mountain bike college or something and, like, or move to Spain and just train. But, like, I, I don't think that that would have necessarily worked for me. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, so I, like I, yeah, I just I try to look forward and just think about um, where I'm going. Okay. And I think everywhere that I've been has, has led me to where I am. <laughs> that,
0: that's a great way of looking at it. Um, in his podcast, Evan stated that he thought that Nordic skiers had more game with the ladies than both runners and mountain bikers. Yet, I've been at the bar with lots of pro skiers, in particular some of your boys, Finn O'Connell, Simon Zink, and, oh man, how can I best describe it? Let's put it this way. If science can elucidate out the mechanisms behind their ability to repel women, and we can apply these same findings to, say, mosquitoes, we could wipe out malaria overnight. So, are those guys just (laughs) outliers? Or, uh, what's your take on this? Do skiers really have... The, I mean, I can't even believe I'm saying this. This just seems so uh, foreign to me. But do you think uh, skiers have the best game with the ladies of all the endurance athletes? This just sounds wrong. What's your take on this?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think we're sort of looking at a big fish in a small pond <laughs> situation. Um, uh, of those three groups, right. yeah, I'd have to say I think I think skiers are the best. But I think that's it's a uh, it's fair to say that, <laughs> that
0: uh, it's like being the world's smartest horse. We, we spend uh, yeah, we spend
1: uh, a lot of time training and uh, a lot of time doing weird stuff and uh, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think that's the biggest pond to be the biggest fish in.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. What, um just last couple questions here and I really appreciate you spending so much time with us. This is this is really interesting. It worked out great. A lot of it. I know you were hunting last week, and we were just trying to uh, slot these around availability. But you've really helped tie this all together nicely. Um, you're like the the rug that really ties the room together for those of uh, out there that know Thank that you. reference. Um, what What's the biggest thing that you miss about ski racing?
1: Yeah, I think the team aspect um, for sure. Um, it's like probably the biggest thing, and and also just like the community in general um and like that's part of the reason why i I enjoyed like being in tech so much is like being at those races is so fun and like everyone is like everyone's sort of friends and like you hang out and everyone like warms up and cools down together and um all that sort of stuff and like it's it's just a really fun group of people to be around and um
0: yeah, I, I agree. It, it's a great community for sure. Do you think you'll ever be uh, back at the starting line in a Nordic race? Is that going to happen? Um, Berkey, maybe. I'm focused.
1: I'm, I'm definitely more focused on on mountain biking right now. But I'm, yeah, at some point for sure. Um, yeah, I mean the Berkey's a big one that sort of everybody, everybody that has. Legit ski before if you're doing one race it's the Berkey, um, but yeah I mean some of those marathons, um, the Berkey, the Boulder Mountain Tour, um, I think coming it probably would would work pretty well coming over from you know 90 minute mountain bike races um, and and longer to just like slot right in and feel like the training will will translate pretty well to those but yeah I don't have any on the on the calendar for this winter but. But
0: yeah, at some point. Yeah, well, and you know, and th- that's a good way to wrap up. Let's talk about um, kind of next year and beyond. Obviously, you had an extraordinary year, breakout season, and you know you made a couple adjustments. Uh, got a, you're moving in with Evan. You got a new. Um, you're not going to uh, be teching next year, so you're going to really be able to focus on training. So, um, I'd love to hear as we're kind of wrapping up here. Give us uh, your your plan, your focus for next year you gonna be doing you know any gravel uh, cross country World Cups uh, endurance like what do you, what do you see the emphasis on your calendar for certainly next year but you know next year and beyond the next few years let's call it.
1: Yeah, I think for me um, racing those those two World Cups really solidified that I, I really do enjoy that that style of racing like that cross country circuit um, XCO style and. So I definitely want to keep doing that. Um, there's going to be two World Cups, uh, two cross-country World Cups in, in North America next year, in Lake Placid, and then in Mount St. Anne again. And so those are going to be big targets for me. Um, but then I do also want to mix in a bit more of like the marathon stuff and maybe some gravel. Um, I'll probably end up going to a lot of the same races as Evan. Um, and... But, yeah, for me, like, XEO is definitely the focus. Um, and, yeah, like you said, I'm headed to Tucson for the winter. Um, just going to ride bikes all winter and give that a try. Um, I've definitely been, like, hesitant to, to sort of go all in on that because I've never lived somewhere without skiing, and, like, skiing has always been a big part of my life. And, um, but I think also it's a, it's a natural progression. Um, you know, last year I spent a couple weeks in the winter down in Sedona um, with Evan, and it was it was very noticeable, like the difference, and in like in my performance. And now, uh, now having risked having races a couple of World Cups, I'm I'm like more motivated than ever. And yeah, just wanna just wanna give it a go. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see how that how that pans out, and then. Yeah, just taking it one year at a time, really. Um, so, But, yeah, hopefully be racing mountain bikes for a few more years and keep getting better. And Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Well, Carter, thank you so much for coming on the show. On behalf of the entire ski community, it's incredibly exciting to see one of our own, as they say, have so much success, not only in ski racing, but then to, to transfer over. And all three of you guys, like I said, it's just an incredible story, you know, good guys, friends, you know, the Nordic Ski background, then they all come together, make it to the World Cup, and then all be staying together and traveling together, it just, it I felt like it was a story that needed to be told, and um, I really appreciate all of you guys giving me so much time, um, both, you know, down there, kind of hanging out, and just picking your brain a little bit about how this whole thing could come together, and then certainly specifically for these podcasts, they've come out great, and we've gotten a lot of great feedback, and just super psyched for you, not only for what you've done, but also for what you have coming forward. And uh, We appreciate you coming on the show, and we'll see you out there.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you, and thank you for telling the story.
0: You bet. <laughs> I appreciate it. You bet. Ugh. What time is it? Who woke me up?